quite some time And I don't know if you have heard That in my world You're the light Yeah, yeah So buy me time Oh, buy me time, baby Oh, I know it's in the lake everybody thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of cultured the cultured podcast with me your host keenan jerome floyd if you haven't followed me on instagram and twitter already please go to my social media and subscribe keenan j floyd k-e-n-a-n j-f-o-o-y-d on instagram and twitter i need more followers i guess people give a fuck still um it's ironic how i'm trying to get more people to follow me on instagram when uh, the parent company, Meta, is about to lay off 70% of their employees. But that's another conversation for another day. Um, I would like to thank uh, everyone that's subscribed and listened to the podcast so far. Um, I appreciate your positive comments that you've left me. Some people have messaged me on my social media. Some people have left comments underneath the videos and also on um, Spotify and Apple Podcasts about how much they enjoy the research that we're doing for this podcast and also the educational aspects and the details that we're giving. Um, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for subscribing. Thank you so much for supporting. If you haven't subscribed already, please go ahead and hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, leave a comment at the bottom so you can join the conversation. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening or watching on Spotify and Apple podcast, Go ahead and uh, hit that follow button, that subscribe button, uh, leave a review, and uh, also share it with your friends. I would appreciate that. Share the clips. Share, uh, uh, just let people know that we're out there. We're trying to build the, the empire slowly but surely. And again, I appreciate your support. I appreciate the conversation. Let's keep it going. Thank you so much for joining us. And in this episode, uh... There's so much I want to talk about. Um, I really, really, really enjoy uh, doing this podcast. And every episode, I start off with a question for the audience. And you can comment below or comment wherever. And I'm asking you the question, out of all the children's television shows, they're on PBS or on some other educational TV show, which children's television program had the best music and why is sesame street the correct answer now i personally grew up in the 80s and 90s so i grew up around uh the time that sesame street was real popular um in the late 80s early 90s barney became a thing um and there was kind of this competition between barney and sesame street um mr rogers was on tv uh, Lamb Chop. Lamb Chop was killing it. I remember Lamb Chop. Lamb Chop's play along. And then, like, in the late 90s, Arthur came out. But they didn't really sing on Arthur. They had, like, the one song at the beginning and at the end, that, like, Jamaican reggae song, uh, which basically means that everybody on Arthur was black, except for Buster. 
the bunny. But um, everybody, everybody, uh, you know, there's all these different shows. And I think music is a very, very important tool as far as education is concerned. Uh, when I used to teach English, I used to use the song, What Does the Fox Say? to help my students learn the language because it was repetitive. You know, there was, what does the fox say? Bing, 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 You know, all my students in the Dominican Republic left by class knowing the lyrics of what does the fox say and how to curse, right? Because to be honest with you, I really didn't know that much about English. You know, you find out as an English speaker that we don't know shit about our language when you actually have to teach it to somebody right i would be in class trying to teach like vowels and 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 consonants and phonetics and 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 um alliteration and all that shit and the questions they would ask me they would be like teacher why is there a k in the word knife i didn't know what to say I didn't know the reason why. I still don't know why there's a K in knife. I mean, I know it's probably like a Danish word or something, but I don't know why we have extra letters and words that don't need it. I mean, it looks good. I mean, if I saw knife spelled without a K, I would think I wouldn't, I wouldn't like N I F E. That just doesn't look like a word I would want to put into a sentence. So I think it looks good aesthetically speaking. Um, you know, they would ask questions like, teacher, how come there's a difference between there, there, and there? What's the difference? I'm like, I don't know the difference. I don't know why we have three different ways of spelling there and they all mean three different things. I don't know why Y is a vowel sometimes. Today, Y identifies as a as a vowel today it identifies as a consonant the first uh trans alphabet letter i don't know that's just the way it feels one day to another but the point i'm trying to make is is that these people that are behind these children's programs is very they're very 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 smart people and for years, I've tried getting a writing job on Sesame Street. Every year, Sesame Street has this open call for uh, new writers to join their staff. And I've always want, wanted to write on Sesame Street because I love the show. I love the jokes. Um, I, I love the music. Oh, I would love to be a songwriter on Sesame Street. Like a songwriter on Sesame Street? That would be a dream come true. For me. Because I grew up listening. I grew up listening to Sesame Street songs. When I was a kid, we used to get, um, we used to get the green VHS tapes. If you're, if you're old enough, you know that every Sesame Street video cassette tape was green and the label was yellow. And those were the, uh, videos that we used to, uh, that's... We used to watch Sesame Street tapes. Sorry. Uh, we used to watch Sesame Street on green, like Oscar the Grouch green uh, with Big Bird yellow labels. That's, well, how we used to watch Sesame Street. And 
it would just be filled with fantastic songs. The one um, videotape that I had was the Count Countdown, which was a parody of um, MTV, and the Count was doing like a top ten countdown of all the best songs off of Sesame Street. I used to watch that tape religiously every day. I would just learn all the songs and all that stuff. Um, but the Count wasn't even my favorite character. My favorite character personally was Grover, the blue monster, because he taught me about near and far. Like, Grover, first of all, was hilarious. He was a hilarious character, um, voiced by Frank Oz, and there, he was a waiter at this New York City diner where this rude blue man would come in. He was like a businessman. And he was like, I have to order lunch real quick because I'm important and I have to go back to the board meeting. And and uh, Grover would be like, oh, you want lunch? Oh, that's amazing. Let me help you. What would you like? He's like, well, what's the special? Uh, the special is uh, a cheeseburger with split pea soup. And he'll be like, well, I'll have that, right? And then Grover would go in. To the kitchen and fuck up the order here. Come back with like some ribs or something. And the guy would be like, I didn't order ribs or whatever. And he'd be like, oh, I thought you said that you wanted uh, ribs. No, he's like, no, I said I want the cheeseburger with the split pea soup. I don't know why you have cheeseburgers with split pea soups instead of french fries, but that's what I ordered. Mm, okay. Well, you don't have to yell, sir. And then he would go back. And then he would, Grover would like become like passive aggressive. And he would come out with, like, a bologna sandwich with, like, moldy bread and stuff and really, like, fuck up the guy's day. Like, the blue guy would never actually eat lunch. He would always either get pissed, something would happen to him, he would get hurt, or he would just be late for work. Um, But that was, it was like, growing up watching Sesame Street was always... It was always interesting because I got the as a kid I I I enjoyed the visuals I enjoyed the music it was funny to a certain extent but then when I got older I started realizing how sophisticated the jokes on the show actually were because the jokes were kind of like adult some of the jokes were kind of adult oriented too right and they talk about like divorce and death. And, like, racism. Um, like, there was an episode where Elmo was like, Why can't Elmo play with y'all? And then the monsters are like, Because you don't have the same skin color that we do. Now get in the back of the bus. And I was like, Oh, my God. Sesame Street is, is keeping it real. It was a very intense show sometimes. Very intense show. But, of course, there was always Grover that was there to light up the view, coming in, teaching us about near and far. He would get up in the camera by near. He would go across the room. Far. Come back up into the camera. Near. Go back across the room. Far. See? Amazing. Barney, on the other hand, Barney was just too happy. It was too happy for a lot of people. And I think people kind of got, like, people coming off of watching 
Sesame Street kind of saw Barney and they were like, yo, this isn't even real. It's like, what playground do all the kids get along? Especially in the 90s. I mean, we had playgrounds that were made of mulch and concrete and and kids were getting pushed off of metal slides and stuff. So I think some people were pushed back, gave pushback on Barney because of that reason. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is the music in Sesame Street, in my opinion, is far superior than that of Barney. But I want to leave it. I want to open up this conversation to you, the listeners. I would like to get your opinion. Which show had better music? Barney or Sesame Street? Um, and I'm going to help you out. We're going to go ahead and we're going to listen to a couple songs. First, first we're going to start with Barney. First, we're going to start with Barney. And I think it will be appropriate for us to start with Barney's theme song. After this stupid... Uh, After this YouTube, I hate YouTube advertisements. All right, here we go. So that's Barney's theme song, right? That's Barney's theme song. Let's uh, let's have some fun and listen to Sesame Street's theme song. I should have had this prepared, but I decided to do this at last minute. All right, here we go. The Sesame Street theme song. Okay, I'll give, uh, I think, uh, I think they're about equal. They're both catchy. Uh, they both, uh, yeah, they're both catchy. Um, all right, let's do another Barney song. This one is called Apples and Bananas. I love how they play, uh, they compose these music with Casio, uh, uh, keyboards. Okay. 
Okay. Okay. Let's listen to uh, a song by Cookie Monster from Sesame Street called Healthy Food. Oh, wait, hold on. Let's start from the beginning. Well, me known for eating cookie when me don't be shout hooky trying to throw loyal fans a curve. What's he doing eating fish or vegetable dish? Man, he sure got lots of nerve. Well, me answer you straight when you're filling up plate, taking only cookies all wrong. Cause you also got to eat fruit or veggies or meat if you want to be healthy and strong. Yo, healthy food, boy, it tastes so Already. Already. <sighs> All right. Let's move on to the next song. There's a song that Barney actually did called The Stranger Song. And that song is about Stranger Danger. Let's listen to that song. That's very good advice Cause you just can't tell if they're good or bad Even though they may seem nice Even though they may seem nice Don't get in their car No, no! Don't take anything from them No, no! Just turn around yeah. And walk away yeah. Go back and tell a grown-up friend Oh, yeah! Go back and tell a grown-up the fact that they have a Stranger Danger song on Barney is fucking amazing. He's he's like, yo, uh, so don't talk to strangers and um, don't like take anything from them and like go find a responsible adult. That's fucking amazing. I didn't even know that was a song. Um, so I guess the equivalent of that would be put down the ducky, even though this isn't a Stranger Danger song. Not to be confused with Rubber Ducky. Rubber Ducky is another classic Sesame Street song. Put down the ducky is a different song. You're about to hear why. Excuse me, Mr. Hoots. I hate to bug a busy bird, but I want to learn the sax and I need a helpful word. I always get a silly squeak when I play the blues. Ernie, keep you cool, I'll teach you how to blow the sax I think I dig your problem, it's rubber and it quacks You'll never find the skill you seek till you pay your dues You gotta put down the ducky Put, put down, down the, the ducky. ducky Put down the ducky, yeah, you gotta leave the duck alone You gotta put down the ducky Put down the ducky Put down the ducky if you want to play the saxophone. Ugh. Well, uh, I think the Stranger Danger song is a good message. But I think uh, Put Down the Ducky uh, slaps a whole lot more. Um, the next song that we should do uh, from Barney is the classic... Barney song, 
I Love You that used to play at the end of every episode. I love you, you love me, we're a happy family, with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love me too? Okay, okay. Okay, I, 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 I see what you're putting down, Barney. The equivalent song of that, I think, is the classic Sesame Street song, Sing. Bass alone, the bass alone in that song puts it miles ahead of Barney. Now, I will extend an olive branch and say, yes, a lot of Barney songs are very catchy. I was jamming. I was jamming to some Barney songs. And I respect those that prefer Barney over uh, Sesame Street. I mean, it's okay to be wrong. But just nothing just compares to the ingenuity and the love and care that they put into Sesame Street songs. Now, I have to admit, they probably had more money, more of a budget uh, to put into Sesame Street songs than they did Barney. But still... But still, the clock is right twice a day. Broken clock is right twice a day. Now, as a um, bonus, I want to play one of my favorite Sesame Street songs. One, two, one, two. Make 
your brush and gently dip it. Be careful not to drip it. Wet paint, wet paint, wet paint. Wet your roller, then you roll it. Calmly, coolly, you control it. Wet paint, wet paint, wet paint. Red and green and yellow too. Purple, pink and baby blue. Wet paint, wet paint, wet paint. You pour it in a bucket. You mush it all around. You take a mop and mop it. Oh, you slather it and slop it. But be careful not to drop it on the cold, cold ground. Wet paint, wet paint. Wet paint, wet paint. Sesame Street for the win, y'all. Sesame Street for the win. I mean, when I was in school, uh, nobody liked Barney. I remember my mother got me a Barney lunchbox with the thermos and everything. Took that shit to school. All of those kids... Roasted the hell out of me because I have fucking Barney lunchbox. All the other kids had Ninja Turtle lunchboxes. They had G.I. Joe lunchboxes. Hell, some of them even had Godzilla lunchboxes. And what we would do at the lunch table is we would open our uh, lunchboxes and set them up on their side. So it would just be these walls of lunchboxes. All these cool ass like Batman, Spider-Man, G.I. Joe Godzilla Transformers, and then here I am in the middle with a fucking purple ass lunchbox with Barney on the front of it. And then I had a uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich that the grape jelly kept seeping through the middle of the bread. So I had a soggy ass peanut butter and jelly sandwich and this fucking purple ass Barney lunchbox. I mean... We were in the sixth grade, so I mean that might have been a reason why people were making. I don't even know why any of us had lunch boxes in 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 sixth grade, but we did. So yeah, traumatized. I um, it's funny because I actually for this episode I did some uh, I did some research. I actually uh, watched the. Barney documentary on Peacock. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, go on Peacock and watch the documentary about Barney called I Love You, You Hate Me. This documentary is extremely informative and it's extremely interesting. Um, when, when, you're, when you're putting together a television program for children... There's a few aspects that you actually, there's a few components that you need to have for the TV show to work. And one of those components that's very important is repetition. And that's where, watching this, that's where Barney really excels. Um, that's why the songs are repetitive. And the creator of the show, her name was uh, Cheryl Leach. And she was a stay-at-home mom from Texas. She created the show in Texas. Her father uh, owned a video production company, I think, called Leach Productions. And she she had a kid. 
Obviously, I said stay-at-home mom, so she had a kid. And she decided, she said, there wasn't a lot of television in the 80s that was specifically geared towards preschoolers outside of PBS, outside of Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street. But the thing about Sesame Street, and this is also something that I noticed and the reason why I enjoyed it, but the documentary mentioned this, was that there was a lot of characters on Sesame Street that weren't pure. They were somewhat broken. Which, when I think about it, you think about characters like Grover, like I mentioned, there was something off about Grover. You know, there was something off about Grover. He wasn't there. He was sarcastic. He was he was kind of mean-spirited every now and then. Oscar the Grouch was mean to everybody. Um, Cookie Monster had, like, ADHD or, or something. Bert was a grump, was grumpy. You know, Big Bird was lost sometimes. Elmo spoke, had dyslexia. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't a pure look at childhood, which I mean, let's just face it, it's not the world is not perfect. So I think Sesame Street was preparing children for to be a little bit more realistic, in my opinion. But she wanted to create a show for preschoolers where happiness and love was the message. So she created Barney the Dinosaur in 1988, low budget. And the original Barney was more like a dark. He wasn't really purple. He was like a dark. He was a dark blue. He almost Yeah, he was a dark blue and he looked more like a. He looked more like a uh, a dinosaur because his jaw was like square, like this this dude looked like Sylvester Stallone. You know, he's like, "Hey, everybody, I'm Barney the Dinosaur." Like he looked like if Marlon Brando wanted to play a dinosaur. That's like what this Barney looked like. Like this Barney looked like he gnawed on the heads of squirrels. And he was like, hi, everyone, I'm Barney. He looked like after work, he would go to the bar and smoke uh, cigars and drink bourbon and slap women on their ass. Like, that's what the original Barney looked like. And um, from 1988 to 1990, you know, the show picked up tremendous success. Like, they actually had a woman who was... A, so, so, so how they started out was they actually were just selling videotapes. Like, they would do... The show, they would record the show at at Cheryl's father's studio in Texas. And then they would just sell videotapes. But it was kind of like they were selling them like Avon ladies. Like they would have people that would take these videotapes and they would go from door to door. They would go to preschools and they would go to houses, kids, you know, people with kids and stuff. And they'd be like, yo, there's this new TV show that we're trying to sell. It's called Barney the fucking Dinosaur. And your fucking kids are going to love this fucking show because it has all these repetitive fucking songs in it and has a fucking dinosaur i mean kids love fucking dinosaurs you know what i'm saying so buy this motherfucking tape and check it out you're gonna fucking love this shit that's how they would sell uh barney the dinosaur to parents in texas and um it, it, the word got around like parents started looking at at these tapes 
and everybody, oh my God, this is amazing. I love this for my kids. They're they're gonna learn about love. They're gonna learn like the alphabet. And who doesn't love dinosaurs? And uh, so they sold these tapes. And between 1988 and 1990, it's just this tremendous growth in popularity. And they do like somehow they got the money from these tape sales to do like a uh, a live show at a local theater and the thing sells out and it's like it's that's when that's when the character guy that played Barney became black the first Barney the dinosaur was played by a white dude but then he went to the army and then there was this guy uh, who was a uh, what was he where was he from I can't remember where he was from, but a uh, black dude named uh, David Joyner, I believe. I believe is his name. David Joyner. I'm going to look it up just real quick, just to make sure. So I just watched this documentary. David Joyner. Yeah, David Joyner. That's his name. Black guy. David Joyner. From... Uh, uh, From Illinois. Decanter. Decanter, Illinois. Decatur, Illinois. My bad. Decatur, Illinois. Right? Um. Oh, he's he's hip-hop Harry now? I didn't know he was hip-hop Harry. Wow. Wow. Okay, so if you didn't know, there's um <laughs> there's this uh hip hop dancing weasel named uh Hip Hop Harry. Oh, it's not a weasel. Hip hop Harry is an anthropomorphic rapping yellow furry bear. Alright, he's a bear. He looked like a weasel to me. Uh, but yeah, David Joyner plays him. So David Joyner was like this dancer, right? He was this dancer and this performer. And he's black. And um, he, uh, when the first guy left, they were about to do a, uh, they were about to do a live show in, um, in Texas at a theater. The theater sold out. And he, uh, was hired and he dressed up as Barney and he came out and he, he like was spinning and like break dancing and like popping and locking. And like, he really gave Barney his like energetic, you know, what we know Barney as his energetic feel where, you know, Barney was jumping in the air and all that stuff. And this costume, this Barney costume was 60 pounds, 60 pounds. And this dude was just, he was just sashaying um, across the stage. And um, eventually he, uh, I think he just was limited to the TV show, but he eventually uh, performed Barney, um, when they did the show at the Radio City Music Hall in New York in 94. Man. 
man, in 94, so they started in 1988. And then in 1994, Barney performed. They had a Barney show at Radio City Music Hall. That shit is wild. I'm almost, you know, it's weird because I'm almost like, I'm almost trying to figure out I mean, because, like, when you're trying to build a brand, like, I'm trying to build this brand as, like, a comedian. I'm trying to build this brand, like, a podcast and do my production company and all that shit. And you're almost like, but how do you do that shit? Like, how do you... You have to have a team. You have to have a team or something. Because of 90, like, in... 98, 88, 89... 1990. In five years, you go from making videotapes to performing at Radio City Music Hall to a sold-out crowd. Do you know how big Radio City Music Hall is? All right, y'all. I'm going to need y'all to share the fuck out of this podcast. I'm sending it to fucking everybody. 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 Because I want to I wanna headline Radio City Music Hall. We need to make this happen. Today, on November 6th, 2022, Keenan Jerome Floyd has put into the ether, into existence, that he wants to headline Radio City Music Hall. Make it happen. Thank you very much. Um, so what was I talking about? Oh, so we were talking about the original Barney. So Barney... Yeah. So anyway, so when they did Barney, Barney was designed to just be for preschoolers. And that's why adults don't fucking like Barney. And keep in mind, too, that when Barney, because Barney really blew up. What what year was that? Barney really blew up around, what, 1992? About 1992. Started in 88, blew up around 1992. At the time, remember, the 90s, Barney had a lot of competition. They they were competing with Jerry Springer and Nirvana and Tupac and Power Rangers. You know? On the documentary, they actually showed, uh, they did this uh, test group for preschoolers, right? And it was interesting to see how much television and media influence children. And this is something that I've been talking about constantly on this podcast, as well as in other projects that I've done where I talk about the influence of media on the brain and how people emulate what they see. And it was interesting. They had this one part on the show, on the documentary, rather, where they were showing that when the kids were watching Barney, they would get up and they would uh, they would dance and they would sing the songs, right? Which is one of the reasons that Barney was so successful, because it was a show that uh, encouraged activity, in its audience. So every time the Barney would jump up, he'd be like, hey, kids, jump up. <laughs> and then all the kids would jump up and they would sing the songs, right? So it, it got upward mobility of these children, right? So when they would show the Barney videotape, it was the kids marching and singing songs and all that stuff. Then they flipped the TV show. that they, they put in the Power Rangers tape. And a minute later, these same children 
that were watching Barney were karate chopping each other, emulating what they saw on television. So that does go to show the amount of influence that media does have on people, right? That's why we got to be careful. But um, you see, Barney, the reason people hated Barney was because Barney, I think, was too optimistic for an otherwise pessimistic world. And a lot of shows, even including Sesame Street, so even Lamb Chop, some shows there was more... It was more uh, sarcastic. You know, Barney wasn't sarcastic. Barney wasn't ironic in any sense of the word. You know, he 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 was very pure. I mean, it's kind of the same way that um, Mr. Rogers was, you know, when he was on television, because Mr. Rogers was very optimistic. He was very, uh, very positive. And I think there's this cynicism that we have that if a person is too nice then obviously there's something wrong with them. They're like sociopaths. Have you ever like talked to a person that's too nice and you're like, oh my God, there's something, this person murders people. That's the reason why so many people, why so many people hated Barney. I mean, in the documentary, there was a whole part in it where they had people that would demolish like stuffed animals of Barney. They had like, I mean, I didn't like, I I joked and roasted Barney. I didn't like Barney, but I didn't know. I wasn't a part of no hate group. Like, in the early days of the internet, there were hate groups that hated Barney. I mean, fortunately, back then, it was just the hate of a character. Now it's the hate of a whole race of people or people that identify with the sexual orientation or something like that. But... That shit was, like, insane how much people hated Barney back in the day. There was tapes of people shooting Barney stuffed animals with guns and shit. How much people hated Barney back in the day. But, um, long story short, if you haven't already, make sure you go on Peacock and check out that documentary, I Love You, You Hate Me. It's an amazing uh, documentary. Um, another documentary that I was watching is actually called Street Gang, and this one's on HBO Max. Street Gang is a uh, documentary about the making of Sesame Street. Now, the creators of Sesame Street were always obviously white, but they created Sesame Street sp- specifically for black children. They called it Urban Audience, but they modeled uh, Sesame Street after places like Harlem and different places in New York so that... Black children could relate to them, right? And that's why, that's why, if you listen to the music of Sesame Street, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more swaggy. You know, it's a little bit more swaggy in a sense because you know you have that urban element that they knew that they needed uh, to attract black children because you know we grew up listening to Motown and we grew up listening to. Uh, you know, like like Otis Redding and and Luther Vandross and and you know Whitney Houston and 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 stuff like that, right? So we we knew bass, we knew like our parents listened to R and B and stuff in the house. You know what I mean? So we knew bass, we knew rhythm, we knew swag, and that's the reason why Sesame Street was a little bit more swaggy, a little bit more bass. 
in their children's songs because that's we could feel you gotta feel the songs in your in your heart. You gotta feel the songs in your soul. But in the uh, documentary Street Gang, there was a uh, character created by Matt Robinson, who is actually the father who was the father of Holly Robinson Pete, and he created a character called uh, Roosevelt Franklin. He was the first uh, African American puppet on Sesame Street. Um, and, but it was weird because he had purple skin, but he had like a fro and shit. And this guy, he was a, he was a very smart black kid, but he was like high energy, hyperactive, but he would go into a school and he would teach kids about like up and down, uh, left and right. Yes and no, you know, and he like talked jive. So he would come and be like, zappa, 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 two plus two because four, zappa, 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 zappa. And he and and he was like the first like representation of like black people on the black kids on the kids TV show, right? Now this is the part where it gets fucked up. The NAACP, the National Association of Advancement for Color People, thought that Roosevelt Franklin was a bad representation of African Americans in these United States of America. They felt that he was a negative stereotype because children, black children in schools were hyperactive. They were standing on desks. They were dancing and all that stuff because they were emulating what they were seeing Roosevelt Franklin do. What kind of horse shit is this? Roosevelt Franklin, Roosevelt Franklin was the first representation on a t- television program, well, children's television program, of someone that was helping African American kids take education seriously. I mean, we had Fat Albert and all that stuff, but. <sighs> Let's go back. Matt Robinson, like I said, is the father of Holly Robinson Pete. He played the original Gordon for the first three seasons of Sesame Street. Roosevelt Franklin, which is basically Franklin Roosevelt in reverse, was an intelligent young black boy who speaks in rhymes and scat. You know, the NAACP complained about it, and Roosevelt Franklin began, began appearing less and less and less and less on Sesame Street until he disappeared. Altogether. And um, the reason that the NAACP felt that was a negative stereotype is because they didn't want the... Uh, The white children watching the show to stereotype black people um, for being rowdy in class. I think that's bullshit. I think that's total bullshit Um, because he taught so many things. He would teach up and down. He would teach loud and soft here and there. Good and bad luck, poison, rhythm, 
rhyming words, trying again, leaving other people's belongings alone, minding your own business, street crossing safety, and he would teach kids about Africa. So what that he's hyperactive? There's plenty of hyperactive black children in schools. Maybe if we had Roosevelt Franklin, maybe less of our kids would be misdiagnosed with ADHD. Or misplaced in uh, reading rem remedial reading classes. Check out the documentary Street Gang. But I also want to say that I think the NAACP is a joke. How can you be for black? How are you going to be a black organization and call yourself the National or uh, the National Association of Advancement of Color People? Is this the 1920s? Let me make sure I'm actually uh, saying this the right way. The National Association for the Advancement of Color People. The NAACP according to Wikipedia, was formed in 1909 as an interracial endeavor to advance justice for African Americans by a group including W.E.B. Du Bois, Mary White Ovington. I don't know who the fuck that is. Who is that? Oh. It's a white lady. I think. Yes, a white lady. Morefield's story, a white dude. And Ida B. Wells. Okay, Ida B. Wells, she's cool. So it started by two white people and two black people. Good for them. But anyway, the point is this. Is that the NAACP... It's supposed to be about the advancement of black people, right? Colored people. Black people. But somehow they let Rachel Douglas all in, which I guess is on brand. You think a white woman started it. So you're going to mean to tell me that you're going to say that Roosevelt Franklin is a terrible stereotype for black children because you're afraid that white children are going to look at this puppet and say, oh, my God, look at how these little nigglets act. But then in 2021, you're going to nominate Aquafina for an NAACP Image Award? Make it make sense. What's next? Chet Hanks is going to be nominated for Best Jamaican? The NAACP is supposed to be our Anti-Defamation League. The NAACP should make anybody and everybody scared to talk shit about black people. Not the stuff that's trending. Not when the news gets a hold of it, but every single person. Every single person that talks shit against black people or an ex-violence 
or others hate speech against black people should feel the wrath of the NAACP. That's the point of these organizations. These organizations are supposed to represent us and are supposed to protect us. They're not supposed to take other people's side. They're not supposed to be bought easily. This organization is supposed to be about the advancement of black people. You can't advance when you're not truly taking a stand. No disrespect to W.E.B. Du Bois. No disrespect to Ida Wells. No disrespect to any civil rights leader that has come before me that has set the road that's cleared the road for me to be able to do what I do. But we but it gets to a point where we need to take a stand. Somebody has to be the leader of that. That's why society now is able to show their true colors. Like I live in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is a very very weird place. Los Angeles as a matter of fact in my opinion has an identity crisis. But in the last few years, I mean, look, this is why there, there's an identity crisis, because Los Angeles is a place where they try to tell you something that it's not. They think they can sell this idea, but every now and then the true colors explode in this city. For example, a lot of people in Los Angeles think that they have the best food in the country. No, they don't. They'll literally be like, we have the best New York style pizza in the country here in Los Angeles. The best New York style pizza? You're like, where can I get this New York style pizza? Well, first you have to go down to Orange County. You're like, I have to go to another county? The best food. People here barely eat. How are you going to say you have the best food? The best food front. They have the best. We have the best avocado kale salad in the world. I mean, yeah, because no one else eats avocado kale salads. I mean, if, if you're basing having the best avocado kale salad on you having it. Then yes. Well, we see it from time and time again. The Los Angeles riots. The Los Angeles riots were not just. We're not just the Rodney King verdict. If you actually do the research on the Los Angeles riots, the Los Angeles riots were the result of racial tension that have been stemming for years. And the Rodney King verdict was the linchpin. That started it. But it had been racial tension for years. It had been it had been policing. Operation Hammer, that started in 1987 by the LAPD, which was a large-scale attempt to crack down on gang violence. 
in Los Angeles. The the financial disparage this the uh what is it disparaging? Dis- the, the 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 difference in in class and wages and 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 a wage gap between different communities how the LAPD were arresting more young black men and women in the 80s and 90s racial profiling targeting black and mexican american youths the tensions between black people and Koreans. The killing of Latasha Harlins in 1991. I don't know if you remember that story, but that's the story where a Korean-American woman um, accused 15-year-old Latasha of attempting to steal orange juice. And she shot her in the back of the head. That's how much orange juice was worth. A 15-year-old black girl's life. Then on top of that, you have the Rodney King beating. Then you have the verdict. And black people got tired of it. Hence, the LA riots. Then a few years later, in 1994, you have the OJ trial. The main reason that OJ got off wasn't because he was innocent, but it was because you ain't gonna get you ain't gonna you ain't gonna Los Angeles, you ain't gonna get Rodney King, Latasha Harlins, and OJ. And a lot of South LA being burnt down. You ain't gonna get that shit. You can't have it all. L.A. has shown, has been showing its colors, its true colors for the last few years. That's 100 years. That's why I find it funny from a person from the outside moving here, black person outside moving here. And it's obvious that you say, look, man, there's some racial shit going on here. And people try to. Gaslight you to believe that that's not true. Low paying wages and and homelessness is an issue. That's why it's not surprising when you have the um that uh uh um recording from the Hispanic council members that came out led by Nori Martinez, who they literally were talking about taking away power and votes from black people in Los Angeles and giving it to Hispanic constituents is not surprising. That's I've been said that when I first moved, when I first moved to Los Angeles, I was like, yo, there's some racist shit going on between the Hispanic communities and the black communities. I had heard the most racist shit in my life when I moved to California. You know, Hispanic woman told me, she said, well, the reason I don't like black men is because black men rape. And I, you know, and I was like, well, no one really asked. We weren't even talking about, we weren't talking about dating. We were just standing at a bar, just chilling. 
And she felt the need to let me know. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with you when that's the way you think. The fact that after Kanye made his moment, made his comments about um, those that I will not mention in this podcast because I mentioned it in my last podcast. But when he made those comments, all of a sudden, the Los Angeles chapter of neo Nazis just appeared and started, pro, you know, having anti Semitic rallies. Now, there's two things to that either. They're, they were plants, or that's how people really feel in the city. But it's not surprising. People think that Los Angeles is this liberal, is the capital of liberalism and acceptance and, prog- and progression. It's not. That's what makes living here so frustrating. And that's why a lot of people in this country... Don't like it when people from Los Angeles, especially Hollywood, try to tell other people how to live because they're like, you need to clean your own house. You're throwing stones in a glass house. Clean up your room first before you come for us. And that's why people are annoyed because that it's like they don't even. Los Angeles doesn't even hide their hypocrisy. And then you're not from here and you call it out. And a lot of people try to tell you that you're not from here. You don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. A lot of people from Long Beach seem to be very protective of Los Angeles, even though they're not from Los Angeles. They're from Long Beach. But they're like, you ain't from here. You don't understand stuff. Los Angeles is not a Rubik's Cube. It's not hard to understand the culture of Los Angeles. Los Angeles is number 24 in most segregated cities in the United States. It has the highest rate of undereducated adults of any major U.S. metropolitan area. The state of California itself has the most public libraries of all 50 states, but the lowest literacy rate in the country. So that's why this racism is no surprise, because racism stems from ignorance. The more ignorant you are, the more prejudiced you are and the more uh, uh, the more lacking of acceptance and knowledge of other groups because you feel threatened easily. It's easy to get jealous. It's easy to feel threatened. And that foments hate and racism. So that's why when you look at all this shit that's happening, it's not surprising. There's so many people in this town that think just because they have a high-paying job, they're smart. But that's not true. I've heard the most anti-black shit ever in my life when I moved here to California. That's the interesting part. That's why that's why I, I just think now people are reading less. People are educating themselves less. They're going based on what they see on social media, what they see on television. Back in the day, when you would watch Sesame Street, they would teach you how to count. They would teach you how to love your neighbor. They would teach you how to share. They would teach you how to cross the street, look both ways before crossing the street. 
Now it's almost like they're teaching the opposite. Now they're teaching people to be selfish. They're teaching people not to care about their neighbors. They're teaching people about the importance of if someone makes you tired, you don't have to talk to them anymore. You don't have to put up like you don't have to. If if you're facing adversity, you could just give up. I think that's where a lot of our problems are are coming from because people want to make changes. They want to get other people to change, but they don't want to change themselves. So how are you going to listen to somebody that is selfish and doesn't give a fuck about you? And then they're like, well, you need to give a fuck about other people. And it's like, who the fuck are you to tell me to give a fuck about other people? Because you don't give a fuck about anybody. This is old news, but I actually wanted to talk about this. Um, about this controversy that is uh, the casting of Haley Bailey as Ariel from The Little Mermaid. And to be honest with you, um, people that complain about diversity in movies... I'm just going to say it. it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life because because you 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 convince yourself that these fictional characters are so important. This color of the skin of these fictional characters are so important to you that it affects you emotionally that their skin color is different than yours. Which shows that in this society we have a lack of accountability, uh, not accountability, but a lack of empathy. Because how are you going to tell me that we're, we all get along and, and, and nothing is, has changed and, and, and we're all better and all this stuff. But you don't even relate to my experience because I have a different skin color. Like people... People were really a miffed when they saw the preview. People on on just on TikTok, it was just people just complaining. There was this racist ass TikTok with this Asian dude. He put black tape on his face and tried to mock little black girls that were excited to see a black Ariel. People are weird, dude. People are complaining. My question is, um, do mermaids exist? No. All right. Well, then that's the end of the conversation. We don't have to talk. We don't have to talk. No shit else about the color of the mermaid skin. If mermaids don't really exist in real life, there's no. There's no uh, historic. There's no historic record. Of mermaids. And then people try to be like. Oh shit. But the book. The book The Little Mermaid is about. The blah 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 blah. Um, let me tell you something. The book. Uh, came out in 1837. And. Uh. Ariel dies at the end of the book. Spoiler alert, she dies. Um, 
she doesn't get the prince. And she also decides that um, she decides that uh, her journey as a mermaid. Because I think, I think, doesn't the prince, doesn't the prince, like, die? And she resurrects him? I think that's what happens. All right, so let's talk about the book. Let's talk about the book. The book, The Little Mermaid, Danish, Danish book by a Danish author named Hans Christian Andersen. And uh, the story is a tragic story. And The Little Mermaid in the book does not have a name. She's not called Ariel. She's just called The Little Mermaid. And she lives with her widowed father, who does not have a name, a grandmother, and five older sisters, right? Um... When she turns 15, she has kind of like a mermaid bar mitzvah or mermaid quinceanera, if you want to call it, where she is permitted to swim to the surface for the first time to catch a glimpse of the world above. Um, and once they reach a certain age, all the mermaids can visit the surface world once a year. And, um, you know... She saves a prince from drowning, who did not have a name in the book. Again, it was just a prince. Um, she saves him from drowning. Um, and just like in the book, she visits a sea witch, who does not have a name. And she says, yo, give me some legs uh, for my voice. I'll give you my voice if you give me my legs, right? So, um, she gets legs, she goes to the surface, and, um, when she walks on land, she has this feeling of sharp knives stabbing her in her feet. Every time she walks, um, she's, she's getting, she feels the, the, the stabs of sharp knives in her feet. And uh, she will only obtain a soul if she wins the love of the prince and marries him. Because she'll get a piece of his soul when they get married. Um, but if the prince marries someone else, the little mermaid will die with a broken heart and dissolve into sea foams upon the waves, right? So uh, she agrees. So she's so not so in the movie, they basically she's just giving up her voice. But in the book, she's giving up her soul, her voice, and she's potentially going to die if the prince does not. If the prince ain't no simp, you know what I'm saying? Like if the prince is like, nah, I'm good. Uh, the little mermaid's going to die. Um, so she drinks potion. She uh, goes. Uh, she feels like she's getting stabbed as soon as her legs appear. Um. And uh, <laughs> the prince is mesmerized by her beauty when he sees her, and she can't talk. So the prince is like, this is a match made in heaven. One skill that she got uh, as a uh, 
as a human is that she's able to dance like no other people. So this, therefore, tells me that The Little Mermaid's black. So suck it, haters. Um, He dances even though she's suffering excruciating pain with every step, which, again, shows to me that she's black. Um... But the prince friend zones her. In the book, she's actually free friend zoned by the prince. It says in the book that she becomes the prince's favorite companion and accompanies him on many of his outings, but he does not fall in love with her at all because she's the homie. Which again shows me that the little mermaid is black. He goes on to say he can only love the young woman from the temple who he believes rescued him. And um, it turns out that the princess from the neighboring kingdom was the temple woman as she was sent to the temple for education. The prince declares his love for her and the royal wedding is announced at once. And she doesn't stop the wedding because she can't say shit. She hasn't stopped the wedding. The prince and the princess celebrate their new marriage aboard a wedding ship, and the Little Mermaid's heart breaks. The Little Mermaid thinks of all that she has sacrificed and all the pain she has endured for the prince. She despairs thinking of the death that awaits her, but before dawn, her sisters rise out of the water and bring her a dagger that the sea witch has given them in exchange for their long, beautiful hair. If the Little Mermaid kills the prince and let his blood drip on her feet, she will become a mermaid once again. All her suffering will end, and she will live out her full life in the ocean with her family. However, the little mermaid cannot bring herself to kill the sleeping prince lying with his new wife, and she throws the dagger and herself off the ship into the water just as dawn breaks. Her body dissolves into foam, but in instead of ceasing to exist, she feels the warm sun and discovers that she has turned into a luminous an ethereal earthbound spirit, a daughter of the air. As the little mermaid ascends into the atmosphere, she is greeted by other daughters who tell her she has become like them because she strove with all her heart to obtain an immortal soul. Because of her selflessness, she is given the chance to earn her own soul by doing good deeds for mankind for 300 years and will one day rise up into heaven. Um... So that's nothing like uh, the 1989 movie. There's nothing like the movie. It's actually kind of sad, but then at the same time, it's kind of cool. Um, and again, Disney gave named her Ariel and, you know, Eric and Ursula and all that stuff. And that's fine, but there's nothing that denotes that the Little Mermaid has to be white with red hair. Nerds are weird. I mean, nerds online, I mean... Like, we were talking about Barney and how there was online groups that wanted to kill Barney. Nerds on... Like, white nerds, specifically, on the internet, they're taught... Like, they... Like, it's... Like, their tweets smell like moldy bread. Like, their tweets have slobber coming out the side of the, of its mouth. Like, they are so weird. They have no chins. Um, 
and they just smell musty. They look like they smell musty. The, the fact that they're complaining, the fact that they're complaining so much about the color of the skin of people. And then what they want to do is they want us to like teach them about racism and shit. Like I, someone made a, a comment on one of my posts on Facebook where they say, you know, uh, if it was the other way around with race swapping, it would be deemed as racist. Well, I mean, a lot of black characters, their blackness is an essential part of their characters. Right? And 97% of Hollywood characters in movies and television shows are white. So you mean one character? One character? That... That's black is a problem, you idiot. So I took one of the comments and I actually uh, reposted it. And I said, people, I'm going to let people make fun of you, right? And when people start making fun of the guy, he's like, well, why don't you educate me, nigga? It's not my job to educate you. You said it. You decided to say some dumb shit. And now I'm letting you uh, reap the rewards of your stupidity. Playing messy with that shit. What people don't realize is that this new Little Mermaid has already been done. It's basically Brandy Cinderella from 1997. If you remember Cinderella from 1997 that appeared on ABC, every black person loves two Disney movies from the 90s. Well, three, actually. Every black person loves Sister Act 2, a goofy movie, and 1997's Cinderella that had Brandy... Whitney Houston, Jason Alexander, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, uh, Bernadette Peters, and uh, the dude from Titanic. And the way the movie worked was, well, we didn't have social media back then either, but the way the movie worked was that it was a multicultural, diverse movie that nobody talked about. Nobody talked about it. And it was because, first of all, the movie was fantastic. The music was amazing. Um, you had uh, you had Brandy. You had uh, Whitney Houston was the fairy godmother. Her stepmother was Bernadette Peters. And her sisters were, um, it was the, the woman from BAPS. Who uh, just passed? Who passed away um, a couple years ago? Let's see here, Cinderella, nineteen ninety seven film. Yeah, Natalie Dessel. Um, and then her, and then their sister was white. You had uh, uh, Whoopi Goldberg was married, was the queen. And she was married to uh, the guy from Titanic who was white. And then somehow their son was Asian. And no one cared. And then Jason Alexander was like the, the steward or like the guy that was helping the prince. Impossible. Something, 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 something. Impossible. Watch it on Disney+. Plus. 
But that's what the Little Mermaid 2023 is doing. To be honest with you, Halle ba Bailey is probably the only black person in the show. You have she's playing Ariel, but then you have you have a uh, white guy playing Prince Eric. You have Melissa McCarthy playing Ursula. You have King, Javier Bardem playing King Triton. All right, so the mom, the queen, uh, uh, King Triton's wife is black. Um, you got a Jamaican dude, David Diggs, playing Sebastian, which is good. You got a white kid playing Flounder. You got Aquafina playing Scuttle for some reason. Uh, you got Lynn Manuel Miranda. And a bunch of other people, like, like literally, there's literally two black people. There's three black people in this movie. There's a, it's 1997 Cinderella over again, and y'all want to complain about Ariel being black? Are you dumb? Jesus Christ. It's literally not that serious. I'm sick of you nerds. All right. So, again, thank you so much for uh, tuning in. If you have any thoughts on what I've discussed so far, uh, go ahead and hit me in the comment section. Um, go ahead and hit that like button, that subscribe button. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, share as well. And if you're watching or listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, make sure you um, leave a review. And follow the podcast. Before I wrap up, I want to take I want to talk about um, takeoff. Takeoff, um, who was a member of the Migos, was murdered this past week, and um, he was twenty eight years old. He was killed in Houston, and. I mean, they say that he was hit by a stray bullet. Um, they were outside of a bowling alley. He was basically killed instantly. And I don't know that much about it. I'm not going to comment about it. All I have to say is rest in peace. I'm not going to say that they shouldn't have been there. Because... In this life, we should be allowed to go wherever we want. But I'm just saying, more and more rappers are being killed than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Like the past, since 2019, we've had Takeoff. We had PNB Rock, Young Dolph, Pop Smoke, Nipsey Hussle. Many more. Triplets Tentacion. That were shot and killed. And it's to a point now where I can't even keep up. Because I don't listen to rap. Like new rap. I listen to like old school hip hop. But I don't listen to like new rap. Because I can't stand it. So it's like I'm not even being able to even like keep up with the rappers. Before they're shot and killed. And. What's interesting about it is that. When deaths like this happen, we always talk about the culture. 
right? People are always like, oh my God, it's the culture. It's the culture that's pushing this violence and this hate in the black community. It's the culture. And it's weird to listen to that conversation because it's almost getting to a point now where it's like, is this really the culture or is this like a perceived part that we're confused of whether it really represents us or not, right? Because talking from my point of view, I've lived in many different places, and sometimes people try to gatekeep blackness, right? And they might hear me talk, and they'll be like, oh, my God, you're not like one of us. You're not like from the hood. You're not this. You're not that. You know, you're not really, you're not really black or whatever. You know, they say dumb shit like that, like, there's a way of talking and there's a way of acting that can be perceived as blackness, right? And it's very strange because it's like, when did that become the culture? Because ever since we came to this country, there was a culture, there was a culture in the 1800s when we were slaves. There was a culture in the, um, after Reconstruction up until the 70s that represented us. I mean, there was plenty of black men and women that wore suits, that wore nice dresses, that were respectful representatives of, of themselves. When did it become that this was what it meant to be black? Hip-hop is being black. You know, you hear this conversation a lot where it's like, well, when it comes to the cool shit, you ain't from here. You know, you don't know what you're talking. You ain't one of us. You ain't this. You ain't one of that. But then every time there's like a shooting, it turns into we need to have a conversation about the culture. We don't have to talk about shit. Because when it came to the cool parts of the culture, I wasn't invited. But now all of a sudden that we're talking about violence, we... We need to have a conversation about it. Y'all need to have a conversation about it because we need to get to the bottom of how come there's so much violence surrounding this aspect of the culture when it doesn't have to be. I listen to rap. I listen to hip hop. There's plenty of people. There's plenty of black people that listen to rap and hip hop that don't kill each other. It's almost like there's a small percentage that speaks for all of us. When it should be the other way around. Let me throw some statistics at you. There's 3.6% of African Americans that make up the U.S. population. 13.6% of African Americans that make up the United States population. 10.2% of said 13.6% of the population are tech workers, African-American tech workers. So of the 13.6 African-Americans percent that live in the United States, 10.2% of us are tech tech workers. As well as 10.2% of us are musicians. So it's an equal amount of African-American tech workers are also the same percentage of the music industry. So the tech industry, remember, it's 10.2% African-Americans that make up the whole workforce. And in the music industry, it's 10.2% black folks 
in the music industry, even though our music is mostly what pushes the industry forward. It's it's the most talked about hip hop. It's the most talked about music genre in the music industry, but we only make up 10.2%. 6.8% of African-Americans are athletes. So of all the African-Americans that live in the United States of America, only 6.8% are black. So what do you think the leading chosen music genre amongst African-Americans are? The leading chosen music genre of African-Americans is rhythm and blues by 62%, followed by hip-hop by 39%. So again, 62% of African-Americans would rather listen to R&B versus 39% would rather listen to hip-hop, which we showed that when we did the verses. When Jill Scott and Erica Badu and and uh, Earth Wind and Fire and the Isley Brothers and all that stuff, huge people were talking about that for days because that's our preferred genre of music that we listen to. So the question is, why is hip hop culture a representative of Black culture when it's not indicative? of what we choose to listen to as a people. Somebody is pushing this culture. It happens time and time again. It's the minorities. The minority group is the loudest voice. So how did this become the culture? And we start to believe it. That's why we say this stuff about each other, about you ain't black or... You ain't this. You ain't down. You ain't. Because this culture that's being uh, uh, perpetuated uh, onto us is what we're being told that we need to be. You know, when I do comedy and I'll say a joke, I'll have a joke that's like, yo, you know, people say I sound like I date white women or whatever. Right. And people in the audience might be like, yeah, you do. And I look at them, I say, okay, well, what do you do? Oh, I work in the music industry. Oh, okay, so you work in an industry where they try to tell you what black is. So how the fuck are you going to tell me about blackness when you have, to, you have to live up to a brand so that you can sell? Because they think they're telling you that this is what sells. I'm telling you, bro. Mental slavery is a motherfucker. And these people, these people, they know it. They know it. Remember we were talking about Barney earlier? The repetition? The repetition of the songs that were supposed to be used to influence preschoolers? They try to get them to learn how to love and try to get them not to talk to strangers and and, and, and try to get them to um, like brush their teeth or like whatever the fuck. Because they know that there's psychology and repetition. You don't think it's the same now with adults? 
when you look in the last few years, shit that we would see on the news, on social media, over and over and over and over again, people would start to repeat it. I never heard the phrase fake news before Donald Trump got into office. Now everyone says fake news. What are those? Period. Um, uh, I can't think of any other phrases right now. But you understand what I'm saying? There's stuff that we repeat because of the repetition. So when we hear kill, kill, murder, murder, abortion, babies, fuck nigga, all that stuff, over and over again, You don't think you don't think that we're gonna come out of this unscathed? Now that doesn't mean it's everybody. There's a lot of us that listen to music and we just leave it over there, but some of us some of us are more susceptible. You have to be you have to be careful. Keep in mind a lot of these people that are making these decisions for us live here in California, Los Angeles. So you're gonna let people in a city with the lowest literacy rate and the highest undereducated adults in the country tell you what to think? This has been Cultured. Follow me on Instagram, Keaton J. Floyd. Peace out.